Welcome to the Arate Podcast, the podcast created to help senior executives and the organizations they lead live up to their full potential. Join us for cutting-edge interviews with leading senior executive and board members across all industry sectors and for practical tips to accelerate your executive career. And now, here's your host, Richard Triggs. Well, Mark, uh, fantastic to have you along on the podcast. I think you you and I have known each other for almost a year now as part of uh, the Champions Forum crew. And uh, as I said earlier, I love your uh, Zoom background, which people can't see because this is audio only, but uh, it looks as though Mark is sitting on the couch uh in the simpsons house uh so a nice light way to uh uh to set the scene how's uh, things down in sunny victoria i'm very good richard and good morning um it's a a, a balmy eight degrees i think this morning oh I'm just, goodness I'm, I'm very lucky that where i'm sitting i can see the surf rolling in and it's some pretty big surf out there crashing across the uh, across the beaches so um I don't think it'll be a beach day, but it's probably a good surfers day. And I'm not a surfer, so. Right. Yeah, I saw in the news this morning, uh, there's some big swells happening down there at the moment. Well, Mark, just to kick things off, um, just uh, talk us through your current professional responsibilities, because I know that uh, you've got your fingers in a few pies. Um, So let's start with my business that I've been running for some years, which is MRE Consulting, which is um, a business advisory mentoring business. business. Um, I set that up many years ago when I thought I should have something in my back pocket and for the day I decide not to work full time. And uh, I've got a couple of clients with that, but I've allowed it to wind back a little bit because I'm also part owner in the Ocean Grove Chalet, which is a motel based in Ocean Grove, right? which we built and opened in 2018. Mm-hmm. And I've just finished two chair roles one with the Barwon Community Legal Service and I'm not a lawyer and one as chair of the Geelong Chamber of Commerce which is the I think the oldest uh, chamber of commerce in Australia it's been going for over 160 years is that right and yeah absolutely and finally for my sins I sit on what is known as the Geelong Authority which is a advisory board uh, for the Minister of Planning in Victoria Mm -hmm. and uh, it provides advice on every building within the confines of the city of Geelong that's over uh, five stories and 4,000 square metres. So we're right. Because the minister is the planning authority for Geelong and that's done to fast track and get things happening in Geelong. So that's in a nutshell what I do. Oh, fantastic. Well, firstly, um, uh, you're obviously very involved with the Geelong uh, business community and community in general. Has that been home for a long time? Um, yeah, it has. I, I moved down to Geelong probably, let's see, my oldest is 27, so yeah, 28 years ago. Okay. Um, started started my uh, my business life in Sydney mm-hmm. and uh, working for Target and that led me down to Geelong. And then from there, I just got involved. Wherever I could, I got involved with different organisations to so, um, learn how Geelong and the community operates. Right. So you're the guy that if I was walking down the street, everybody would be like, g'day, Mark, g'day, Mark, how you go, Mark? You'd, you'd be the... Uh, <laughs> The man about town. Uh, it's funny you say that. Uh, a couple of good uh, friends of mine, school friends for over 45 years, um, we catch up on a regular basis. And when they come to visit me, 
they keep saying we think we're on the set of neighbors <laughs> so uh, because as we walk down the street people are chatting and they say this this, this is unbelievable <laughs> uh yeah it's uh, funny i lived in Cairns for four years and uh you know when you go out for a walk in the mornings and so walk the dogs everybody's so friendly and oh you know how's your world and so and then you get back to a big city like brisbane let alone sydney or melbourne and nobody smiles and nobody makes eye contact yep. and, uh, yeah it's, it's bizarre um Okay, well, look, uh, we'll come back to all of that. Uh, but uh, just tell us a little bit about your consulting work. What type of um, clients do you have and, and what do you consult in? So I've specialised um, in small business and, and family business by, by almost by default. But the small business has been, uh, you know, sole traders or one or two employees mm-hmm. and, and an all-round general business discussion, you know, people looking to bounce things off, being a sounding board. So, okay. that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer that a mentor's not there to uh, tell you what to do. Mm-hmm. The mentor's to help you find what you should do. And and that's that sounding board, bouncing things off, right. talking through the issue. Um, and then and then using my connection. So if I, as, as part of that, uh, say, well, look, you really need a good accountant. Mm-hmm. Here's a few people you should chat to to assist them in that direction mm-hmm. because pe- people are always looking for referrals and um, you have to be careful you need to make sure who you're referring to is good but um, but I, I really enjoy that side of it and and uh, I've got one semi-client now because they've moved on that I've probably been talking to for six years and they were a car detailing business and they started off in their garage <clears throat> and now they've got their own shed they are employing people and, and they look after high-end cars. That's their focus. They do, you know, you know the $200,000 Telstas and all that sort of stuff as part of their regular regular business. And, right. and I love the fact that we sat having a cup of coffee with them going, we don't know what to do. And here they are today in a really successful business. So that's great. And I, I'm not claiming success. I'm just claiming that I help them yeah. through it and, and know where to go. So, right, it's good. It's really good. And, it's and good it, it, it's interesting, you know. There's often a, uh, you know, what is the comparison between a coach and a mentor and a mm-hmm. business consultant? Uh, so, how how do you sort of delineate between, say, for example, being a mentor and a coach? Yeah, well, I mean, the coach sort of tries to bring the team together and 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 help set a game plan, um, whereas the mentor tries to get the the person you're working with to work out the game plan with you just giving them a little bit of advice and mm-hmm. and suggestion um and and i and i'm a good listener and i right. think a coach doesn't necessarily doesn't necessarily be a good listener but a mentor has to be a good listener mm. um, because you've got to be able to just let them vent right and, and most people get to that their own conclusion just by venting and talking and you go what about and they go oh and before you know it they're going oh i should be doing this and and off they go but mm. uh, but coaching's still a little bit part of it because you you do want to remind them that oh you agreed to do that so why aren't you doing it right and and keep that sort of subtle subtle push going on right uh, it's, uh... It, it's interesting and and, uh, and 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 the other part was obviously I, i've ended up in more family business and that's ended up and a little bit by default because um I ended up working for um, the Mitre 10 guys in Geelong mm-hmm. uh, who asked me to come and do some consulting and looking at their organisational structure. And my business partner at the time, um, we both went, well, what's your strategy? And they sort of had a strategy that they'd done some years ago. 
So that's where we started. And before you knew it, we put a strategy together with them, mm-hmm. helping them, coaching them, mentoring them. And then they, the, uh, the, the brother rang me one night and said, uh, Mark, instead of telling us what to do, come and do it. Right. And uh, I said, oh, I'm not sure if I want to do that. But I said, I'll give you five years. And I did. I went there and worked there for five years. And we ended up becoming, yeah, again, it was actually funny. It's one of the oldest um, family businesses been going around for another 160 plus years. And uh, they ended up getting an offer for Mitre 10. They couldn't refuse. And uh, they sold that and it became a corporate business. But, uh, and, and that's when I decided I was at because mm-hmm. I found I was, I was falling back into bad behaviours and, and arguing. And, and I was trying to protect the family values and felt those corporate values weren't there. So mm-hmm. my five well, years was up. Well, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's uh, come back to all of that. But uh, uh, as I always do in my podcast, it's, uh, I love to... Uh, Go to where the story begins. Let me uh, so uh, tell them, tell us, you know, where you, were you born, and you know, early life, mum and dad, brothers and sisters, etc. And uh, let's see how it all unfolds from there. Okay, um, so I was born in Birmingham, in England, mm-hmm. and we actually lived in Scotland, but we moved down to Birmingham because my mother's parents were in Birmingham, right, and. Um, we just moved to be close to them while my while I was being born, and then we went back to Scotland. My father's an electrical engineer, mm. and his role at that time was building a nuclear power station in okay. uh, in, in Scotland, which I, I find quite amusing with all the debate on nuclear power. I, I don't have two heads and three ears, and, right? Uh, and and my fa- that was my father's role at the time. And whereabouts in Scotland? Bit, Sorry, whereabouts in Scotland? Um, we, we lived, we lived in Glasgow, and okay. uh, I think the power station's at Huntington, I think is the name of the place. It's a bit, mm-hmm. bit vague, but... Um, and my mum was a physio, so she uh, at one stage worked at the Greater Ormond Hospital in London and so on. So, um, And mum, uh, mum really enjoyed that sort of physio-type work. And then my father got an offer with his company, which is the General Electric Company of those days, to go and work in India. Mm-hmm. So we took off in around 65, 66 to India. Um, still, it still had the vestiges of the British Raj around it, I suppose, when, uh, in those years. And uh, we ended up in a place called Dunbar in Bihar State, which is the coal mining sort of town centres of, of India. Mm. And Bihar is one of the poorest states. Um, and we ended up living there for, uh, we were my brother and sister, my sister was born in India and uh, my brother, sister and I lived there for probably five or six years. Then my brother and I uh, were relocated to boarding school in England while my, my parents stayed on in India for another couple of years. And the reason being, it was getting a little bit hairy in those days. Right. Um, and things were getting a little bit, uh, there was a lot of unrest and, uh, and my parents thought it was best to get us out while mm. they wrapped up what they were doing in India for a couple of years. But I have a great affinity for India. I've been back a number of times from in my, my future work. Uh, my brother worked there for a while and my sister's been back traveling across the place a couple of times and we all love Indian food. And um, yeah, I used to speak the language. I used to speak Hindi. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only things that sit in my mind now are the swear words, which is a little sad, really. But, <laughs> and, uh, but, and, but if I listen hard enough, <laughs> I can pick up what people are saying. So oh, it's good. Any. It's a great place. And so when you have a curry, do you have an you know, extra Indian hot? 
No, I just have it hot. Um, yeah, look, when when you're you're a kid of about seven or eight, and uh, and 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 being in India, uh, you have a number of employees. So um, we had what was called an ayah, which is a nurse or a or a, um, a, 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 a what's the word I'm looking for nanny for one of a better. Okay. Yep. And she would take us to where she lived, and uh, they'd be making the curry from the ground up. You know, right. crushing the spices. And we'd sit there and, and help them do that and eat that food. And um, so all, all our curries at home were all from the ground up. You know, none mm-hmm. of this out of a jar. Right. Oh, that sounds delicious. Stuff, and so when you were at uh, boarding school uh, and, you know, in high school, uh, what did you think you wanted to be when you grew up? That is a really good question. I actually, in my days at boarding school, wanted to be a policeman. Right. Um, don't ask me why. It was just one of those careers that I thought I, I would be able to do. And I, I quite enjoyed the idea of being a British Bobby. So that was what I was sort of working to do. And then as that, as that evolved, and then we moved out to Australia, and I went to school in Australia, I moved that. Uh, interesting enough, I, I didn't like the fact that Australian police carried guns. And right. I just didn't think I wanted to move into that vein, so I decided teaching would be my my path. So that's mm-hmm. what I started looking at. And did you ever um, actually but, have uh, a career as a teacher or not? <clears throat> um, well, I love to say that yes, I did sort of. In that, I I finished the degree and everything at Sydney Uni again in the days when the government paid you to go to university to get a degree, as opposed to the other way around. And um, my friends all went into teaching and all hated it. And I decided I wanted to uh, get some money and I joined a company called Target that were mm-hmm. hiring trainee managers. Mm-hmm. And in my career through Target and Colesmeyer and West Farmers, you run training sessions. So I have, in fact, used some of my teaching in a different way, not right. in a classroom full of kids. So, and, and what attracted so, yeah, you? I, I have. What attracted you oh, initially sorry. to um, going and working in retail? Well, my grandfather on my mother's side has always worked in retail. He had his own corner shop, which is my parents lived above for some years. Mm-hmm. And as a kid, as a little kid, I can remember going and sitting on the counter. Um, and in the war years, he was a wholesale uh, vendor and uh, had permission to drive around. And, you know, he handled all sorts of things like tea and so on. And he was a, um, a really interesting man. He used to always chat about the retail side of things. And I think that just sat in my head that maybe there's something in this. Mm. Um, so I often blame him as the person that probably in the genes was this desire to get into retail. And um, I, I, just, I just went looking, Richard, to be really honest, to find a job that I thought might have a career and take me somewhere different. Uh, and with the view that I would join them for a year or so, see how it went and then you know, move on. And I applied, interesting enough, to Target and West and uh, Westfield at the time. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't have a good hiring experience with Westfield. I actually, they offered me the job and I declined it because I was not impressed with how they went about it. And But Target was very professional. So Westfield at I the went. time were also what they are now, more the, the centre owner rather than the retailer or? Yeah, they were, they were the shopping centre owner. Um, right. And I went, I went uh, for a, a marketing role with them. They were looking for cadets in their, in their, which is how they used to bring people in, which is really a really good system. Mm. But it was, it was, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a pleasant experience, and it was, 
I, I don't like to bag Westfield because I, I don't think they're a bad organisation, but in my experience and, and, and it, in those early days, it was not a good profession. And in fact, when I rang the guy back to say, look, I'm really sorry, but I've actually decided not to take the role, he, he just hung up on me. And I thought, <laughs> wow, <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I, that convinced me then I've done the right thing. <laughs> yeah, right. And so you, uh, your initial plan was to work for Target for a year, but you ended up working there for a long time. Yes, I did. I was there, uh, pretty well close to 30 years by the time I, uh, I stepped mm. away. And, and uh, partly that's because I kept moving in roles and, and that was a different challenge and a different a different uh, avenue to take. So I started off in Sydney as a trainee manager at uh, at Eastwood of all, mm. all towns, um, which is now gone. That store's gone as part of the culling that Target are undergoing at the moment. But um, uh, started there as a trainee manager, worked my way up uh, to a store manager's role, uh, went via the state office at one stage. And then that led me down to uh, to Geelong, where Target's head office is based. And, oh, and I then see. I had a series of different roles there. So, right. Yeah, that's how I ended up in Geelong, was the uh, Target's head office is down here, or was down here. I, uh, in my earlier career, uh, I worked in the uh, facility management industry, and uh, one of our contracts was we cleaned every Target store in Australia. So uh, I've definitely walked through my share of Targets. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's funny because uh, my daughter, who is now eight, uh, whenever we go to the shopping center, she's like, oh, Dad, can we go to Target? She just loves Target for whatever reason. So uh, so they're still going, you know, uh, strong. What are, what are they used to call it? The... Uh, the red dot boutique, or what was that? What was that term they used the to say? The red boutique, or Target. Target, that's right. Target, that's right. Right. And so, um, when you were in Geelong in the uh, the head office, what sort of um, uh, senior roles did you have there? So, I, uh, my role in, in my last role in Sydney was the state sales manager, and the national sales manager's role. Um, became vacant because the, a guy that I worked with very closely um, got a different role. And he said to me, you should apply for this. I reckon you'd be good at it. And I wasn't that keen to relocate to Geelong, to be honest. But mm -hmm. I thought, oh. So I came down and was interviewed by the general manager at the time who uh, um, said, look, I'll, I'm offering you the role. And this was on a Thursday or Friday. And uh, I said, when do you want to know by? And he said, I need to know by Monday. Mm. And I, I walked out of the place thinking, hmm, what am I going to do? And then I rang him back and said, yes, I'll take the job. Then I hopped on the plane and flew home. And my wife said, how'd the interview go? And I said, we're moving to Geelong. She said, I knew you'd do that. <laughs> <laughs> luckily, luckily, she's long suffering. And, and, but I thought, if I, I thought if I got home and discussed it, I'd talk myself out of it. Right. And I thought, no, it's the right thing. I'm going to do it. This is what I'm going to do. So I, I took on the national sales role, which was then had, there was... Um, coordinating all the sales and marketing um, within store, uh, store design, store, uh, store layouts, uh, promotions, that side of it. So is, your, uh, job. Great oh, good. So is your advice uh, to, for a successful marriage to uh, ask forgiveness, not permission then? I tended to operate that way. I've always operated a bit that way. I <laughs> beg for forgiveness and not ask for permission. But um, no, we, we do talk and, and, think through everything together but I just knew at that time I had to do it I had to right and so after 30 years or so with Target what um uh led to you leaving and joining Kmart 
Um, so the MD of Target at the time was a gentleman by the name of Larry Davis. Um, very, very interesting man. He, he, I used to talk about the fact he managed by chaos theory. Right. So, so you'd walk into his office and there would be paper all over the floor, little piles of paper scattered everywhere. And the very first time I went into his office, I started to pick it up thinking it had been dropped. And he went, no, 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 no. I know where everything is in that on the floor. Leave it alone. Right. Um, and if he had a decision to be made, if I went in and, or somebody walked in and said, you know, Larry, we've got a problem. This is a real problem. We need you to do something about it. He would then summons all the folk that were involved in that sort of discussion, get us all in his room. You could have eight people in his room all having a discussion. Mm. He'd walk He'd walk out. And we'd, we'd end up talking about it and solving the issue. And then later on, he'd wander back in. He says, is that all fixed? <laughs> uh, it was a re really interesting character. But he it, it, it was, so anyway, he, he relocated. He was um, moved up to Kmart because Kmart, funnily enough, was a basket case. Mm. And uh, how things change. And uh, he wandered up to Kmart. And uh, Target at the time had two three general managers of merchandise. So I was looking after the non-apparel side and there were two others looking after the apparel side. And it was too many. You only needed one or two people in that role and it had just got, for whatever reason, the structure had ended up the way it is. Um, so I was asked, would I go and work with Larry up in, uh, in Kmart? I said, absolutely. So mm. my role at Kmart was general manager business efficiency was my title. Okay. And it was to strip costs. It was to strip costs out of the organization and, and make it profitable and viable. Okay. So that, and so that for a couple of years. Was their head office also in um, Geelong? No, no. Their head office was uh, Taronga at, okay. um, on Turak Road in Taronga. So, that's at those days that was probably an hour and a quarter drive from Geelong. These mm -hmm. days it could be anything up to two hours. But mm -hmm. um, it, yeah, it was it was in the what's what was affectionately known as the Battlestar Galactica, this big black monolith building sitting on a hill in uh, in Turek. So. Right. And so, at what point did you decide that you had a preference for what I would call more of a portfolio career? Um, you you said you were consulting family business and might attend and uh, uh, and so on. What gave you a sort of the, the bug to do that? Um, I suppose we, I, I, I left Kmart and the reason I left Kmart was um, I'd worked very hard to get the business restructured. Uh, Larry had retired. Uh, new MD had been appointed, which was fine. We were working well together. But as part of giving Kmart its own identity, we moved Kmart out of Battlestar Galactica into a building further down the road. And that was going to mean I had at least a two hour each way trip every day. Right. In fact, uh, and West Farmers had come in and bought Coles Meyer. And the coordinator of West Farmers, who was bringing the whole thing together and integrating West Farmers and, and, uh, and Coles Meyer, said to me, Mark, uh, the aim of you moving Kmart is to help save cost you're going to cost us a fortune with your helicopter to work every day if you if, because of the place you've located and are moving people to mm. and i said look i'm ready to go when you're ready to make me redundant i'm ready to go i i can't drive two hours each way every day and i'm not mm. relocating because uh, i've got three kids they're all at school not going to happen so um they offered me a redundancy which i took with both hands and then thought now what 
And I was literally out of work, Richard, for a week uh, with the aim I was going to do nothing for six months, as you do. I think everybody that does this sort of thing thinks, ah, isn't this fantastic? I'll do nothing for a while. I'll enjoy. I'll relax. And I got a call from a headhunter looking to place somebody in a interim role for a month or two at um, ADRT, which is Australian Discount Retail Trading, um, which held go low, crazy prices, all those, the cheap and cheerful side of the market. Mm. Um, it was a, interesting enough, it was a billion dollar turnover business owned by private equity. Mm. They bought uh, and, and had consolidated and they were looking for someone to run their marketing just for a month. And you'll laugh at this. It was actually based in Sydney and it meant flying out on a Sunday night and flying back on a Friday. And here I was saying I couldn't drive two hours each way to, um, <laughs> to the Kmart head office, but it was different. It was, uh, it was short term. I thought I'd be there for a month. I was actually there for a year. Mm. Um, and uh, the aim was to get the business up and running for them to sell it. And uh, the GFC hit, the banks tightened up on their finances, the equity guys had to get out. And it was sold to a lady called Jan Cameron, who was mm -hmm. probably well known to folk. Uh, and she ended up buying it. And I then thought, this interim short term stuff is really cool. Let's see where else I can go with this. And that led me into doing more work with uh, individual businesses, as, it, as is the MITRE 10 group in Geelong and so on. So, mm. and, uh, and that was the catalyst. Right. And so since then, it's largely just been a series of these interim type mentoring roles, has it? Um, yeah, I, it's uh, the, the, the MITRE 10 was a five-year stint mm -hmm. uh, as the CEO of that organisation. I left, I left them, again, it wasn't just the way it was being uh, run corporately. I decided it was time to get out. Uh, and, and also my term was only five years. So I knew that they would probably say they wanted to put their own, the corporate guys would want to put their own chief in. So you could, I, I've always got to say, you, you need to know when your time's up. And I knew my time was up. So I stepped out of that and uh, I got approached by one of their major competitors in Geelong, who's in the wholesale and trade side to say, would you help us buy a retail business? Because if we don't have a slight finger in the retail pulse, we're not going to know what's going on in the... Uh, in the MITRE 10 world mm. and we know how budding operates. So I went and worked for them uh, on a short-term consulting basis, started off five days a week and then wound it back to two to three days a week. And I did that for a couple of years. Um, but that was just, again, this interim role, uh, advising the family. I, I, I always think I was the eyes and ears of the family. They weren't, they, they had a manager in the store, but they needed someone they trusted to keep an eye on how the whole thing was integrating. Uh, and that was great fun. I, I um, expanded that business, worked with the family to improve it, and then stepped away. Um, and as soon as I stepped away from that, I got a tap on the shoulder. Would I come and uh, work at the South Melbourne market, which is, again, one of the biggest and oldest markets in, in Melbourne? Would I just do that for a month because their CEO had left and we, we wouldn't mind somebody just stepping into the, into the role? And I ended up doing that for six months. And in fact, so so enjoyed it. I put my hand up for the full-time role, but I was only prepared to do four days a week because again, I was living in Geelong. Right. I didn't want I didn't want to be there five days a week with the hours involved. I was happy to do it for four. Mm. And I guaranteed they would get the, the panda flesh out of me for four hours, but they really wanted someone for five mm -hmm. five days. And mm -hmm. um, so the rest is but I again I, I really enjoyed that short interim role, get in, 
Um, you go you go in without being beholden to any uh, politics in the organisation or any. You don't have to be the nice guy. You can step in and be very open, very clear, and drive and change things because you don't have to. You, you know you're not going to be there long term, mm. so you're not worried about what's my next role what's going to happen if i upset this person what's going to happen if this you just can be it's, it's actually refreshing to step into these roles and know that you can work hard to make it better mm. and bring a team along because you're you're away from the politics so many organizations once you get into them and you're on a full-time track you then start getting caught up in the politics of the organization and and you're thinking about, well, if I say that, that'll upset them and I've got to deal with them next week. You don't when you're an interim type role. It's, uh, <laughs> it's very cool. It's, and that doesn't mean I'm, I'm, you know, it doesn't mean you're, you're, you're rude or objectionable. No, it just means you've got a very clear brief mm. and you work to deliver that brief and bring people along. Mm. Uh, it's good. It's, it's a great, great feeling to do those sorts of roles. Well, it's obviously a, a style of work that you really enjoy. A couple of interesting things to, you know, unpack out of all of that. So it sounds to me as though really the only job you've ever actually applied for was your very first job at Target. And ever since then, you know, it's been a series of, uh, you know, being uh, approached and, and tapped on the shoulder about all of these opportunities. Is that right? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's true, actually, Richard. I hadn't really thought about that, but yeah, that's right. It's 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 people have reached out to me through connections, through networking, and gone, "Hey, Mark, are you free?" Mm. And that's how it tends to start. Mm. Uh, and my, and it, and... my joke is always, "No, I do it for money." Right. <laughs> <laughs> I may not be free, but uh, I'm good. Uh, and it, you know, going back to a comment that you made right at the beginning of this conversation, you know, you said when I got to Geelong, I just kind of threw myself into the, you know, trying to do whatever I could and getting involved in um, uh, all of these different, you know, the Chamber of Commerce and and uh, the different things, the board roles, etc. So obviously, for you. Um, you've been very intentional about the fact that uh, if you're going to succeed in this style of career, it's very important for you to be well-connected and visible and on the radar. Yeah, that, that's, that's very true. I, I, when we moved to, to Geelong and we moved to Ocean Grove to live on the coast, uh, one of the very first things I did, I noticed they had a committee of management uh, over the Victorian coastlines uh, managed by Parks Victoria, which is a government organisation, and a and a number of committees of management in different areas. And the coastline where I was was a committee of management. And in those days, um, they were just a group of people that got together. Yes, they were appointed by by the government, but uh, it wasn't a paid role. They were all volunteers, and there was they just sort of got on and did stuff. Mm. Um, I joined because they were looking for someone with some business acumen. And uh, I was there for nearly 12 years and probably seven or eight of that, I ended up being chair. And that ended up I, pushing me to do the AICD course um, because as I'm running this board, for all intents and purposes, it was a board, I thought I, I need to understand more about governance. And mm -hmm. so I went and did the AICD course, which um, giving them a free plug was, it was brilliant. That really helped me focus on how this should work. Um, and that was great. So that led me to that role, and 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 then I stepped off that. I, I I knew I had a couple more years to go at the end of 12 years, and I thought, no, I've been here too long. Again, my line, you need to know when your time's up. 
and I, I attended my resignation and said, look, you need somebody new and add to take on and, and uh, it's time for me to step off the board, which I did. Um, there are the were terms, but I still had a couple of years to go. Um, and then that led me to get on to a, a Western Coastal Board, which is a uh, was one of three coastal boards that ran oversaw the coastlines of Victoria. Um, why did I get into the, more of the environmental stuff? Because I was living on the coast. Mm. Uh, you know, 27 years ago, we moved here. You, you could see the reaction of waves getting higher and the impact of climate change mm-hmm. when no one wanted to talk about it and everyone was in denial. Um, and that, that was really interesting to get involved in that mm. side of it. So Western Coastal Board then led me to being appointed to a ministerial panel rewriting the Marine and Coastal Act for Victoria. And that was fascinating to be involved in the ground floor of working up an act that was going to go through Parliament and watching it go into Parliament and be debated, knowing, hey, I was involved in this right? Uh, and, and how that all came together. So that was that was fascinating. Again, that's just through getting myself involved in things and volunteering for things. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so that, that's been really good. And then I got asked if I would, uh, because people got to know the fact that I I seem to chair things reasonably well and seem to run things reasonably well. I was asked if I'd come on board a legal service, community legal service board that was in disarray, needed some help, needed some good governance, stepped into that and finished that up last year after uh, six years. Uh, and and so all two, of two, three year terms. Right. And so Mark, all of his uh, uh, board work and um, government committee type work that you're doing all voluntary, no, none of it remunerated. Um, the way, the uh, coastal board was remunerated. Um, the legal service was volunteered. Mm-hmm. I also uh, joined and, and got on to the Geelong Cemetery Trust for a term, mm-hmm. uh, which was a paid role. Um, so that, that was interesting. That was mm-hmm. really interesting. Um, and, and I'd like to get back onto that at some stage, but I, I just haven't had the time. What was so interesting about that? Um, dealing with death. It, okay. it is fascinating. You know, as, 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 an, as a... As a, a race of people, we we tend not to talk about it, mm. and and you know to go and stand and uh, see a cremation take place, and understand how it all operates and the duty of care that the cemetery people place, especially in the, the Geelong Cemetery Trust, in looking after the family and the deceased and how they deal with it, was was eye opening. Yeah, mm. you know, and but also the issues that can happen. You know that, whoops! We've dug the wrong hole in the wrong spot, and the, right. and the funeral's on its way. You know they don't happen that often, but occasionally they do. Mm-hmm. And how you deal with it, so that that was really interesting. That mm. was fascinating work. And um, so I've started to apply for more paid roles. Yeah. Um, but only now I've just started to think. Right, I'd like to get into something that's a bit more meaty and paid. Mm. Uh, that's not to say the not-for-profit roles aren't meaty. They they can be all-consuming if you're mm. not careful. Um, but the motel's keeping me busy too. So it's just keeping that that balance in my life. And so what inspired that, Mark, uh, to, uh, because did you say that you actually were involved right from building this motel? Well, yeah, it's, again, it's interesting. You know, I'm, I, I, there's probably a bit of a theme here in my life. As, as, as you're chatting to me, it's starting to maybe dawn on me that net, <laughs> networking, is, networking is extremely important. So um, when I was chairing, uh, sorry, when I was CEO of Mitre 10, uh, one of their key customers in their top three customers was a, a Mark LeMate from LeMate Builders, who builds on the Bellarine, which is where 
Ocean Grapes based. Mm-hmm. And he builds high-end houses. And he was he was a great customer. And I always made a point of visiting the top 10 or 15 customers in my role once every six months, once every year, just to see how they are, was anything we needed to do. Anyway, Mark and I got on quite well. Mm. And uh, I knew when I'd left Mitre 10, um, he built bought this block of land and he decided he couldn't build townhouses on it because he, he couldn't get permission to do that. But the council was encouraging him to put units on it. And he was thinking, no, I don't want to do that. So he decided he was going to build a motel. And he, he rang me up one day and said, are you walking past my office anytime soon? And I wandered in and he pulled all the plans out and said, this is what I want to build. And uh, this is what it's going to cost. And how much do you want to put in? And mm-hmm. I said, sorry. And he said, let's do this together. Mm. And that's what we did. We, we shook hands and um, we put some equity in and the rest is history. We just watched it. He watched it build and we talked about how it should be laid out and and what we should offer. And neither of us had any motel experience. I've got that. He's got the building experience. I've got the, the retail customer service marketing, that background. So I had that in my, in my quiver. My wife had actually worked uh, for a motel not far away. Uh, literally by default, she'd been asked to help out one day uh, cleaning rooms. So she toddled along to help out this person who ran a cleaning company that she knew well. And so she had done that off and on for a little while. Uh, So she understood the ramifications of how to make the beds, how to clean this, how to Mm -hmm. do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And we all said, right, let's make this happen. So we literally opened the doors in December 2018 by appearing on Booking.com, Expedia, and in our own website on social media and thought, now what do we do? Mm. Will, Will they come? And within a week, we were full for Christmas. And we went, wow. Um, this is interesting. <laughs> and so that situation, Mark, uh, I, I'm guessing you asked your wife's permission first rather than... <laughs> yeah, that was that was very much a, what do you think? And we spent a fair bit talking about it. Uh, mm. you know, what would Because I was reaching the point, and uh, look, benefit of hindsight, I suppose, Richard, we were starting to think, gee, it'd be good to travel around the world for a year. That's what mm-hmm. we were thinking of doing at the time. Heaven heaven forbid that we actually actually did that because God knows we're going to be trapped at this current environment. But um, we we decided, no, this is what we're going to do. Mm. And the aim was to set it up, build it, open it, run it for a few years, uh, and then put it on the market and sell mm-hmm. it once we got the base right. Of course, COVID changed all that. We've, we've reset that plan for a little while. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's been a great, great learning curve and, and really, really enjoyable. Good, and good business. Mark, uh, you know, it's interesting you said you, you it's dawning on you uh, that you, a lot of your successes come through uh, networking. It's funny having these conversations with people. Often, uh, you know, it takes the opportunity of, of looking back on your career and going, oh, that's interesting. I hadn't really thought about why I made that move or why I chose to do this or that. But um and, you know, I, I look at you now and I say, well, here's a guy who's had a very corporate career. Now you've you've been in an interim executive career w- with a um, also a mentoring sort of business consulting and now an, an entrepreneur. So you've uh, you've pretty much ticked every box. Uh, what, what would you say um, uh, has enabled you to, you know, 
fulfill what are often very different. I mean, to be an entrepreneur and a business owner, in many respects, is a very different headspace to being a CEO or being a, a, a non-executive director. Um, so how do you think you um, have been able to navigate that successfully? I think I'm a reasonably quick learner and I, mm-hmm. I, well, here we go again. I like talking to other people and picking their brains. Uh, when we started the motel path, um, there was a, uh, there, there is a very, very nice um, uh, a, a business called the, the Lon, L-O-N, uh, Lon Spa, uh, just down the road from us. And they were going through a major refurbishment and had been there for some time. And Claire, the lady that ran it, uh, bumped into me at a tourism networking thing that I was going to before we got up and running and said, come and have a chat. And I sat with her for probably nearly three hours and asked her hundreds and hundreds of questions. And she was fantastic, giving me her view, her opinion, uh, suggesting where else I could go to. And I made a point of uh, even, even the Novotel Hotel in Geelong, mm. uh, the general manager there, I knew him through my Chamber of Commerce connections Mm -hmm. so i went and caught up with him tell me what's the things that go wrong what are the things now they're a 300 room hotel Mm. um but being but people are willing to give if i've I've learned richard if Mm. if you open up and say hey can i get some help can you give me some advice uh like the champions forum that i'm part of with 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 you um when people open up and say look i'm stuck what do i do People don't say, oh, well, I'll tell you, but my invoice will be in the mail and you need to pay mm. me before I give you the final. They they want to share. And, and I've learned that too. If people ring me up and say, look, I'm moving to Geelong. What do I do? Where do I go? Who do I talk to? I, I'm more than happy to sit down and have a, a cup of coffee for an hour and just talk about the organ- the areas, mm. the organisations, where they should go. Um and I think that's really important. I think if you don't share and you don't listen, and I stress the listening, um, you're, you're not the wiser. You're, you, you're the richer for listening and, and getting mm-hmm. that advice. And that's where I think I've been probably through my career, I've been willing to listen. My wife will argue that sometimes I don't listen, but let's not go there. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but, but it's just having that, that you know, talking to people. Mm. And you don't have to take everyone's opinion. You don't have, you know, not everything you, you hear is right, but have a listen and distill mm. it and then say, how do I use that? Or what do I use that for? So I think to answer you in a long winded way, it's that ability to talk to listen, network and not be afraid to have a go. Yeah. yeah and, uh, and as you say, ask for help. Um, as you know, I, uh, I coach a lot of senior executives through their job search. I don't do it for money anymore. Um, uh, it's just part of uh, my role um, because I get contacted by senior executives and board directors. Oh, Richard, I'm looking for some advice about my job search. And the number one I tell, thing I tell people to do is identify people that you would like to help you and ask them for help. Yeah. Um, uh, because as you say, people love to help people. Uh, it's, and, and I'll often... Um, uh, you know, in my champions forums or, or in other things that I run, I'll say, look, if somebody reached out to you and said, look, I'd really appreciate if you could help me, please. Can I buy a cup of coffee or can we have a 15 minute Zoom conversation? Would you do it? And they all go, oh, yeah, no problem. I would definitely offer help. I go, well, why, don't, why won't you ask for help? And it's interesting. Yeah. I think, um, uh, and I, I, 
it's not a male or a female thing. I don't know if it's a a white, you know, um, uh, you know, Aussie uh, trait, or because um, I've spoken to you know people from other cultures and so on. We're very happy to offer help. We are very reluctant to ask for help. But as uh, yep. a very famous person once said, "Ask and thou shalt receive." Right? And uh, <laughs> yeah. And if you think about the, your own career, uh, and particularly if you just think about your hotel, for example, um, you know, that help's been invaluable and it was given to you for free, which is awesome. Absolutely. And, and, and it's interesting, as you say that, I, I went to hear um, Russell Holcroft, you know, the marketing guru guy that appears on the Guru and Transfer and so on. He, he did a, 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 a speech at a conference I was at. And the first thing he did was he put a mobile phone number up on the screen. And he said, that's my mobile phone. Happy for anyone to call me. <laughs> and later on, when we were having cups of coffee or drinks or whatever after, I just said to him, how many calls do you get? And he said, how many do you think I get? And I said, mm. I don't know, 10, 15, 20. He said, I'll be lucky to get one. Mm. And he said, I do it at everything I do. And I genuinely want people to ring me mm. and people don't call. And in my phone is his mobile phone number. And no, I haven't rung it, but it's, it's interesting. It's interesting that that was his lead. He, what do you want to know? I'm happy to talk to you, happy to give you advice. Mm. Here's my phone number. Call me. Nobody does. And, <laughs> so, and, and why, why do you think that is? Do you think it's because a, people are scared I, that there's a catch or are they, do, are they lazy or are they just shy or what, what do you think it is? I, I think there's probably a little reluctance to admit that you don't know something and you're mm. seeking that advice. I think mm -hmm. there's a little bit of that. Okay. Um, I don't think we're shy. Um, and I don't, sometimes maybe there's a, oh yeah, what's the catch? You know, do you get put onto a, an email database that you'll never get yourself off? Mm. But I, I, I think it's more to do with the fact that we think, oh, you know, it's not that important and I won't be able to get the, what I want and I won't know and who cares. And, but when you do, mm. when you do step out of that and ask, um, and I'm more than happy to ask these days, I must admit. So yeah. um, I should ring his number now, I've raised that. I must go and have a look at it. <laughs> Send him a text and say, oh, listen, I've just been talking on this national podcast and uh, I hope you don't mind, but I gave everybody your phone yeah. number. <laughs> No number. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, interesting. Uh, it's interesting. I uh, uh, I have so many people who read my book and you know uncover the hidden job market where I say identify your employers of choice, reach out to them, ask them for help. Uh, I've sold over ten thousand copies of my book. I would guess yep. a minimum ninety eight percent never apply. You know, and it's like this guy. You know. Uh, I'm here. Here's my mobile number. Give me a call. Happy to help. Whatever I can do. Nobody calls. It's just uh, the the human being is a bizarre creature. But anyway, and so Mark, um, you mentioned uh, you were going to build your hotel and then uh, and then potentially um, uh, sell it after a few years. So what what's on the uh, horizon for you career wise? What what are you keen to to continue to do or start doing? So I, I suppose I look at everything that I've done uh, and, and also just throwing slightly in there, my wife then went, a, went and bought a Donut King and ran that for eight years and I did all the stuff behind the scenes. Mm. Um, and I have an immense understanding of franchises and 
Uh, I've actually given advice to a couple of people thinking of going into franchise businesses and said, and I've, I've started with don't, but if you're going to keep going down that path, you need to be aware and go in with your eyes mm. wide open. Um, and this, this was, uh, and of course, Donut King's part of the retail food group and everybody's read about them a hundred times. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that, that, that's also instilled in me that, you know, understanding of, you know, when you take the franchise agreement to a lawyer, because they tell you you have to, and you have to sign that, get a lawyer to sign a piece of paper saying you have, and the lawyer says to you, there's no point showing me because they won't change anything and I can't change anything, but I really wouldn't sign this because it's all one-sided. You, you, but you still go in and, and run it. My wife loved it. She ran it for eight years. Um, it, it, it became really messy towards the end. So I parked that. Um, but all that, that skill set around the customer, um, I've run customer uh, service training sessions, um, has all led me to write out when we sell this motel, which we're probably a year or two away from doing, but mm-hmm. we've got it on the market now and we'll just see how, how that bubbles. I've, I'd love to get into a couple of board roles no more than that. I don't, you know, I don't believe people should have more than a couple. You know, some of these directors that are running around with six or seven, I don't know how you do it and be mm. committed and understand what's going on mm. uh, to do it right. Um, and something of focus on that customer service, the, the understanding of the customer and, and looking after your customer, genuinely looking after your customer. So many organizations uh, talk about being customer focused and it's just a, a glib word. And, and a, a uh, ex-colleague of mine ended up at uh, on a bank board and they told me that they were there because they were customer focused now i knew they weren't mm. and that bank has been an immense trouble mm-hmm. um, because they forgot their customer and mm. i laugh because what, what i sometimes worry that the network of directors gets a bit incestuous so because you're on one board you get tapped to go on the next board and is it the right skill set or is it just because of somebody you know Mm. Uh, and I, 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 I'm probably a bit fiercely independent that I'm not going to be beholden to somebody to get on a board. I want to apply on my merits and get there on my merits. Maybe I'm being pig-headed, but well, um, I it, just want to make sure. <laughs> you know, the, the, the I, interesting I thing to... about that, uh, Mark, uh, so firstly, um, uh, there's been quite a number of people who have come on the podcast who have subsequently been offered a uh, uh, board roles when people are listening. So, uh, so if anybody's uh, keen to have a chat to Mark about joining their board, uh, uh, I'm sure you can reach out, to him, reach out to him via LinkedIn or uh, or let me know and I'll happily connect you. But it, you know what's funny? What you just said then is, um, you know, I've I've developed my whole career by being really well networked and being tapped on the shoulder and so on and so forth. But I don't want to get board roles that way. I want to get board roles by applying on my own merits. It's a, it's a, a bit of a contradictory, but I understand the intent. What you're saying is, um, you know, rather than it just being what would traditionally is the old boys club, you know, um, uh, where there was no true skills matrix and no true, um, uh, you know, transparency of recruitment process. I, I think that, you know, there is a, a place in between where um, you want people on your boards who bring different skill sets and different ideas um, and who are definitely customer centric. But by the same token, you also want people on your boards that you know and trust because uh, 
it's pretty easy to put somebody on a board. It's bloody hard to get them off. So, uh, uh, but Mark, um, oh, you've had a, what a fascinating career, and uh, it seems as though you've you know there's plenty yet to come. So uh, uh, I'm excited to uh, to hear the next instalments after your um, uh, your hotel is sold. I wouldn't mind uh, if you could just uh, perhaps for a couple of minutes. Uh, we first met because you became involved in the uh, Champions Forums that I run, and uh, uh, I'd love you to share a little bit about your experience um, uh, with Champions Forum. Uh, excellent. Yeah, good. Thanks, Richard. Uh, look, the thing, the reason I did it is one of the re reasons that I decided to get onto the Champions Forum, and I think I might have said to you this at the, at the beginning was the danger of being in a town like in, of Geelong or a city like Geelong where you're, you're heavily networked, you know what's going on, you know who the players are. At the end, it's a small small city. You, mm. you, you know all the major players, you know. So you're not getting any necessarily new and stimulating ideas unless you find new people that are coming in. So that's why I enjoy meeting people that come into Geelong and asking for who do I talk to because I'm meeting somebody new and I like the idea that the champions forum was not in Geelong not in Victoria was being run out of and, and thank goodness for zoom is being run out of, of Brisbane mm. and it was a whole different group of people and that's what I found really good because it's introduced me to a whole heap of people that I would probably never have met um, there's there's uh, one person in my group who's Melbourne based uh, and we've touch base a couple of times and we will catch up to have that face-to-face -face at some stage mm -hmm. but it's it's brought in a whole new different level of um, information advice sharing and I, I i thrive off that i i think it's so cool to listen to people that i'm in a couple of them i'm in awe of that some of the stuff they're doing is so good mm. uh, one of the gentlemen on on the group working in indigenous uh, organizations up in the northern territory that's unbelievable. You know, it's fantastic what he's doing. Mm -hmm. And the rest of us all sit there, you know, white Anglo-Saxons going, how, how did he get into that? How cool is that? Mm. Uh, and and that, that's what I've enjoyed about it, is that stimulation out of my normal comfort zone. And, mm -hmm. and, and it's great. It's really, it's a credit to you and the guys running it. And I, I just think it's, um, it's it's got it's got some great merit and i'm really enjoying the conversations and the and the advice that comes from it oh well, that's excellent uh, i appreciate those uh, kind words and yes uh, zoom um opened up uh, such a tremendous opportunity to to have this sort of level of networking and um uh cross-fertilisation of um, ideas with people, you know, in, in the Champions Forum case, all over Australia. In fact, we've got people uh, involved in other countries. Um, whereas, uh, you know, before COVID, uh, uh, it was a very different sort of scenario. Um, uh, I don't think people would necessarily want to participate, but now, gosh, we're, um, Champions Forum has been growing by sort of 20 plus people a week. So, uh, yeah. uh, it's been awesome. Mark, um, uh, knowing that you've got to get on with your day, uh, just before we wrap it up, um, uh, we've spoken a lot about what you do with your work and your professional history and so on, but tell us a little bit about, you know, what, what's Mark get up to when he's not at work? What keeps the, uh, the petrol tank full? Um, I like reading. Mm -hmm. I'm a big reader. Um, which is probably another thing that, that helps me in that respect. I read co copiously and it doesn't matter what it is. I try and find something and, and read it and, and 
I'm currently reading a, a history of the ASIO spy organization. Why? It just looked interesting. Right. Um, I enjoy I enjoy uh, living on the coast. It is nothing better on a winter's day walking along a beach where there is nobody else. Mm. So it's good thinking time. You can go for a good walk and enjoy that. I do dabble in a little bit of photography. Um, I haven't done a lot of it well, but I do enjoy having a little bit of a photographic uh, bit and I do like helping people so mm. um, that's why I like to meet people and talk to people and and just be a sounding board so that mm -hmm. that keeps me going uh, my wife and I have this regular joke when I say I'm going out now and she shouts out is that paid or unpaid right because uh, she knows full well that 99% of the time I'm saying oh, I'm just catching up because they need some advice so right um, so yeah that, that keeps me going. And I've got three kids who are all in, in different areas um, and it's good fun. They're all scattered a, a, across uh, Victoria. So it's good to catch up with them and chat mm -hmm. with them and, and be proud of what they're doing. I, I really enjoy looking at my kids and thinking, how did they get to where they're going and, and what part did I play in that? And, and I think, or what part did my wife play in that? So, sure. Uh, it's really cool. It's, oh, that's it's great. Are you, are you a granddad yet? No, no. Oh, that's, uh, I, and I can't see that being on the cards for a while yet. I think uh, these days, uh, my oldest is 27 and my youngest is 22. And mm. I think uh, is the average age now around 30 for the, the first kiddies in relationships. So I, I think we've got a while to go before uh, that happens. Fair enough. So. <laughs> and, and obviously, uh, you and your wife were about to uh, embark on some um, travels. Where are you most excited to travel to overseas once we can finally get in on an international plane? I, I, this might sound a bit odd, but I'd love to go to somewhere like Jordan or Iran or mm. Egypt there, you know, but I can't see that happening soon. Mm. Mm. But um, uh, I know people that have been to Iran and said, what a fantastic country. Um, but given the politics around the world at the moment, I don't know if I'd hop on a plane and go there tomorrow. Mm. But those sorts of, and maybe that's because I grew up in, in a place like India. Um, maybe that's, you know, I, my wife's never been to India and, and I keep promising her that when things get back to normal, that is probably one of the first places we mm -hmm. will go. And I, and I do have business connections there who I keep in touch with. Um, and I, I think it would be nothing better to take my wife to, uh, to Delhi to see the Taj Mahal mm -hmm. that I've seen a number of times and now go, oh yeah, it's the Taj Mahal. And I'd love her to go and see that. I think that would be really cool. So who knows? Who knows what will happen? Yeah, well, I was uh, watching the news this morning and uh, they're saying the likelihood of international travel within the next year, um, not even this year, but within the next year, so uh, uh, is almost Im impossible to, to think we will be able to travel. So uh, you'll have to uh, keep those plans in the back of your mind, I think, as will I. Well, look, Mark, it's uh, been a fascinating conversation. I really enjoyed talking to you. I'm sure people will have... Um, uh, I really enjoyed listening to this. So um, thanks very much for your time and have a fantastic day. Thank you, Richard. Really enjoyed the chat. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Arate Podcast with Richard Treeks. For show notes and other resources, please visit aratepodcast.com. 
While you are there, you can subscribe for future episodes so you can continue your own journey towards realizing your full potential as a senior executive. And please be sure to share this and other episodes with your friends and colleagues. The Arate Podcast is brought to you by the Experts On Air Podcast Network.